just a moment. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. So as I mentioned last night, uh, if you are breathing, you have been hurt sometime in your life. Uh, Sometimes it's a mother or father or a relative, uh, a granddad or a grandmother, a sibling. Uh, Sometimes it's a teacher at school that says things to you that uh, are really painful or a kid on the playground. Uh, I was talking with my son Timothy this morning. They had to go back. He works at four o'clock in the morning, so they had to make the eight-hour trip back to Little Rock. But uh, Timothy was we were talking, and he, he told me about one thing that a school uh, kid said to him one time that just he, he that framed his thinking about who he was for many, many years. Just one sentence, uh, and it hurt. It's painful. Sometimes it's uh, a tragedy. Somebody can, we can have little hurts, you know, that build up over our life, little things people say, little things people do, uh, little things that we get overlooked for. Uh, other people kind of advance, and we don't advance, and that's painful. Uh, sometimes it's not just somebody that hurts us. It's, it's just something. It, it's a tragedy. It's a difficulty. It's a, a task that comes upon us that we can't seem to do. And we all go through these times of hurt. And as I mentioned uh, last night, it's not a matter of if you've been hurt. Everybody gets hurt. It's a matter of of how you deal with the hurts in your heart. In, in my case, uh, I kind of like Reagan, I grew up in a, a very wonderful home. My grandfather was a pastor, and my dad was a pastor, and I have two brothers, and they're both pastors, and one sister who married a pastor. And there are, uh, my siblings and I have 18 uh, kids, and between us, the four of us, and uh, 14 of them are either pastors or missionaries or married pastors or missionaries. My, my dad used to say, we're either going to help the world or ruin it. it one, you know, it could go either way. But so I just, you know, I, I grew up in this wonderful home. I loved Jesus. I mean, what was not to love about Jesus in our home? I came to Christ early. Uh, and it was, just a, it was just a wonderful home. And I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of hurts in my life in that way, but it, it, it came about later in my life that the, the, the worst hurt so far of my life came in my home. My father was a, was a wonderful man of God. He was uh, greatly used to the Lord in many different ways. He pastored. He was a, started a missions department in Arkansas. He later uh, went to Oklahoma City and was the director of missions over the Oklahoma City, 160 churches there in Oklahoma City. And God uh, really used him. In fact, the, the last year before he retired, the uh, home mission board, we call it, NAM, we call it now, uh, honored him as the associational missionary of the year. They had The last year he was there, they'd seen over 800 people come to Christ in their associational missionaries. Unbelievable. And my dad uh, really had a desire for a particular position, and he would have been wonderful for it. But for the second time, when he was about my age, really, he was 65, I think he got passed over for that. And a man, particular man, kind of blackballed him in that deal. And 
Instead of doing what my dad had always done, processing that God's way, he just kind of internalized it. And I began to notice that my dad seemed moody and down and uh, depressed. I would talk to him, Dad, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And like happens sometimes when the devil doesn't care how long it takes to get you. He just wants to get you. The devil was, was waiting with a little bit of bait and temptation. And I, I, uh, I, I went to my brother and I said, I don't know what's happened to dad. I've never in my life seen him uh, like this. And he can't, he's, it's like he's in a nosedive and he can't seem to get out. And Tom said to me, he said, well, you know, he said, if, I did, if it was anybody in the world except our dad, I, would, if I was diagnosing this, I would say dad was having an affair. And uh, we both kind of laughed that off. We said, well, that couldn't be a possibility. There's something, something else. Days went on, and I was living in and pastoring there in the Oklahoma City area where my dad was, and, um, and I just began to see more and more signs that something was drastically wrong. And one day, I picked up the phone and called his coworker, and I said, Ed, I just, I just feel like something's going on with my dad, and uh, have you noticed anything with him? And the, and the phone got real silent. And Ed started to cry, and he said, we need to talk. And so we met in a coffee shop. I could take you right to the spot in downtown Oklahoma City. And Ed shared with me that, uh, that they were seeing signs that my dad and his secretary were having, were having an affair. And sure enough, my dad had had the greatest test of his life. I mean, who, who would think that would happen at 66 years old? And, and it, it blindsided him, but he made a choice, and she made a choice, and he fell into adultery. Well, my brothers and I, when we were pretty convinced that, that this was happening, uh, all, three of my, all three of us brothers and my sister came in unannounced to my dad's house, and we confronted him with this. He denied it, lied about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and my mother, of course, was just devastated by all of this. And we began a, a two-year hellacious ride. Uh, some of you may have been through that. Some of you have watched that in the lives of others. Maybe some of your own children or dear friends. It's, uh, it's one of the worst pains in the world. And dad would, uh, never admit what was going on. He would leave. He would come back. We would plead with them. I remember just just seemed like dozens of times going out in his workshop there in his garage and sitting down with dad and just, you know, I was his, I was his youngest son and, and here I am, a you know, 29-year-old guy and I'm trying to counsel my dad about, about these things and uh, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working, you know. It just seemed, it seemed to make no uh, no connection with him. Excuse me just a second. I have Bluetooth phones that ring in my ears, and somebody's calling me right now. And <laughs> no, it's a no, I don't want my phone. I don't, I'm not going to talk to him here during the sermon. <laughs> Hello, excuse me, folks. Hello. <laughs> I know you were going to turn it off. <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, you know, one day my mother came home uh, from a little uh, trip, a little task she was doing, and there was a note on the table, and Dad had left. And he uh, went off to another state with this lady, and eventually uh, we were praying, we were believing, we were asking God, we were crying out to God, and, uh, and then... But, but he had gone, and eventually he uh, divorced my mom and married this woman who was the age of my sister. So it was just a devastating time, and I couldn't understand it, you know. I just thought, you know, Lord, all my parents have ever done is love you. All, all they've ever done is tried to serve you, and, and, and you would let this happen? And uh, I didn't know it. But, but I was getting very bitter, and my bitterness was ultimately against the Lord. You know, bitterness is an awful thing. It's a, if it, it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. It's an acid that develops in your soul. And I describe it like this. I think we have a definition we can put on the screen that bitterness is a corruption in my soul resulting from my failure to accept and thank God for every person or circumstance he has allowed in my life. Now, just read that over one more time. Bitterness is a corruption in my soul resulting from my failure. You say, my failure? It's resulting from what somebody did to me. No, it's resulting from my failure to accept and to thank God for every person and every circumstance that he has allowed in my life. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. And Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 10, says this. Just look at it with me in the scripture. Uh, They discipline, he's talking about our father's discipline of us, and he says, our fathers disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but God, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Can I hear an amen on that one, right? But sorrowful, and yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then then he tells us what to do when we're going through a time of difficulty, or as he calls it, the discipline and the training of the Lord. He says, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet. One of the things we tend to do is we want to run and go in a different direction. But you, you stay on the right path so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men. Tennessee is we don't want to do that when we're hurt, right? We want to do anything else but pursue peace and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And here's the verse I want you to see with me. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness spring up cause trouble and by it many be defiled. I want you to notice two or three things with me tonight. First of all, and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story here in just a minute. 
But first of all, notice the origin of bitterness. Where does bitterness come from? And if you think about the definition that we've given right there, that bitterness comes from misunderstanding and not embracing God's kingdom training in our life. Now, I want to tell you something. With my eight kids, I spent my life training my kids. I still train my kids. I mean, my, my, my oldest children call me. And, and I'll sit down and talk to them. They'll have a difficulty or problem. And, I, and I'll always say to them, you know what's going on right here. The issue is not the issue. God is taking you to another level of development. How you respond is going to determine where you go in this moment. You can go backwards. You can go forward. You can go in doubt and fear. Or you can move forward in greater levels of faith. But I'm just constantly, because I am, I am intensely motivated by love, right? You are too. You want your children to be the best they can be, to experience all of God they can. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews, I think it was Paul, he says, look up in verse 7. He said, it is for discipline that you endure. God, and don't think of that as, as punishment. Think of the word training. It's for training that you endure. God deals with you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're without children, without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Look, I don't, I don't train my neighbor's kids. Now, that's somebody else's responsibility. I may speak to them and try to help them a little bit, but I don't train them like I train my own children. But my own children, I feel this intense, loving responsibility to help them learn and grow from everything. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be submissive? That's that word we get meekness from, surrendering our will to the will of the Father. Should we not be submissive to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. And really the root cause of bitterness, you remember Sunday morning when I said there was one thing that's the mother of all sins. Do you remember what that was? It's pride. It's pride. I mean, I, I could trace every sin in your life and mine back to pride, back to me thinking I know better than God how to run my life, right? PR, there's a big I right in the middle of that. P-R-I-D-E, right? And so what happens is when something happens to me that I don't like or that's hard or that's difficult, Something inside of me says, I don't deserve this. I didn't plan for this. I mean, who's, who's allowing this in my life? And I get upset because my pride leads me to certain expectations in my life. I never expected to get sick. I never expected to have cancer. I never expected to have a prodigal child. I, I never expected to be bullied. I never expected my mother to treat me like this. And I look around and other people's mothers aren't acting like this. So, so how, how can this possibly happen in my life? And that's not an illegitimate thing. I mean, we just have expectations. We think we're going to grow up and everything's going to be fine. And we live in a nice little house and have a wonderful life. We never get sick. We never have a problem. But we're living in a sin-wrecked and sin-damaged world, right? And, and we're going to be touched by that. The Lord, Lord knew that. He warned us about that. And God can take any part of that and work it together for good if we'll respond 
the right way. But the problem is we have expectations, and when those expectations are not met, we get hurt, right? We get hurt. One of the places that that this is most painful is in the body of Christ. When, When things don't go the way we thought they should go, or people don't treat us like the way we think they should treat us in the body of Christ. And if that, if that hurt has a face to it, then it moves into what we call unforgiveness. We're just unwilling to, how dare they do this? I can't believe my mother acted that way. I can't believe that teacher said that. And if we don't deal with that hurt and those lost expectations and that unforgiveness, and we hold it in our heart, it's harbored hurt, and this is what turns into bitterness. This corruption, this acid in our soul. I want to tell you something. Since the, God, the Lord began to teach me about this, I can spot this in people in five minutes. I mean, it's just very, it's very easy as you're visiting with people, and you just see this little tinge, this little acid, this little corruption in their soul. And, and I, I'll think to myself, you know, somewhere they've been hurt. One of the bitterest men that I've ever known in my life happened to live next door to me. And uh, thank you, Lord, for that one, right? <laughs> he probably called the police on me and my children 50 times while they lived there. The basketball would run in his yard, and he'd call the police. And, you know, they have to come if you call them. Uh, one time, my mother-in-law, who had Alzheimer's, mistakenly walked into his house, and he was a, he was a nurse, what this man did, and he called the police on my mother, who he knew had Alzheimer's, and totally confused her, you know. And I thought, what in the world? And, and, and I got so angry with him, and then the Lord said to me that night, he said, Bill... He just said, there's something in this man's soul. And I just realized, you know what? He's been deeply, deeply hurt. And I found later the genesis of that hurt. It was a father who had deeply abused him in his life. Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been hurt? And, and people think, well, I'll just stuff that down. You know, it doesn't work. And we're going to see... That when this harbored hurt or unforgiveness is in our life, there are some outcomes. Let's look at those. There are some outcomes of bitterness. Here's how Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says this. He said, bitterness always springs up. It always springs up. So you think, well, I can just cover this. I can just hide this. I just, I'll just be polite and not say anything about it. But bitterness always springs up. Years ago, I lived in Oklahoma, and, and Oklahoma's kind of like Kansas. You have to, if you want a tree, you have to plant it, right? It's the most unbelievable thing from a, for an Arkansas boy. And so I, I wanted some trees in my yard, and this nice guy gave me this little hackberry tree, and I put it in my yard, and I kind of nurtured it along, you know, fertilized it, and did all this stuff, staked it out. And I, I went off to the Southern Baptist Convention uh, one time, and one of my deacons said to me, he said, Pastor, can I come mow your lawn? I think this is what every, every deacon ought to be doing all the time, on a regular basis. 
So I said, that'd be awesome. So he came, he was so excited. He came over and he mowed my lawn and then he got his weed eater out. You know, have you noticed ladies what happens to your husband when he gets a weed eater in his hand? It's like, I can't control anything, but man, I got this weed eater, you know? And so he just weed eated everything. I think he took out some flowers, you know, and he just, he just stripped that that the bark right off that little tree. I mean, I've been like two years I've been working on this scrawny tree. And of course it died. I came home and the tree was dead. And I didn't, I didn't say anything until I could one day from the pulpit say something about it. And it was great. Uh, <laughs> never strip your pastor's tree. There's a moral of that. But anyway, uh, so what I did was I had, it had grown some deep roots by that time. And so I just cut it down, you know, and the funniest thing happened all summer, a little sprig would come up, you know, and I'd mow it down. Then it'd come up, I'd mow it down. And, and this went on all summer. Somebody said, why didn't you just let it keep growing? I thought, well, I never, I never thought about that, but it just kept, it just kept coming up. Well, you know, you know what the, the moral is to this. If there is roots, it always sends up shoots and ultimately bears fruit, Right. And bitterness in your soul that's been undealt with, I don't care if it's 30 years ago, 60 years ago, will always spring up. And it always causes trouble. It causes trouble. Now just think about this with me. Here's here's how this works. Is that in my life, uh, I get hurt and it hurts, right? It's painful. So I'm not, a, I'm not a dummy. And so I develop strategies so that the best I can, I'm not ever going to be hurt like that again. And I have my little strategies. And, and if I do that strategy long enough, it becomes a habit. And if I do that habit long enough, it becomes me. It's the way I live. It's the way I relate to people. For instance, um, look at these different kinds of things. A quick temper. You ever been around somebody that just flares up just like that? Well, I, I promise you, look down into their life a little bit, you'll see some hurt. And, and their little strategy is, look, if I feel like I'm going to get hurt by somebody, I, if anybody's going to get hurt, it's going to be you, not me. So I go on the offensive. Or uh, oversensitivity. You know, some people you say, man, you just have to, you have to watch what you say around her. You have to be very careful, kind of walk on eggshells. Well, there's some hurt there in their life. A critical spirit. Uh, you know, uh, gossip, slander. You know, you know what that is? That is somebody is hurting me or I, I don't like what they're doing. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear them down. Have you ever heard somebody say, did you see what she did? Which means I would never do that, right? That's called P-R-I-D-E. Right? And it's our way to just demean them so that we kind of take them out of the picture. That's what gossip, that's where it comes from. That's where slander comes from. Or stubbornness. My way or the highway, right? Or a controlling, demanding spirit. In other words, I've known some people who they have been hurt in their life, and their strategy is. I'm going to get my box in my home, in my work, in my relationships, and, and everything's inside that box because I can control that. 
Anything starts to get out of that box, I make sure that I push them back in that box. Or I don't, I don't want uh, anything to mess up the way I want it to go because it might be painful to me. An inability to trust. It's hard to trust. And ultimately, this may shock you a little bit, but I, I really believe ultimately all bitterness is bitterness towards God. Because we're, we're not, you know, we're not idiots. We, we know that God maybe could have stopped something. And so you think, God, why did you, allow, why did you let this happen in my life? Years ago, I was in a church in Oklahoma, and um, I had the uh, second most bitter man I've ever met was, that, was this man in Oklahoma. And uh, when I came, he was the chairman of everything, chairman of the pulpit committee, chairman of the deacons, chairman of everything. Uh, he worked real hard, and everybody said, well, isn't it, I'll call him Fred, that's not his name, but they said, isn't it wonderful, Fred, he just worked so hard. But what they did not know was, was that the reason Fred worked so hard was he wanted to control everything. And uh, he was a real contentious man and an extremely bitter man in the church. Had been causing problems for many, many years in that church. Uh, one day I was talking to him and I said, Fred, I said, I was in your hometown. He lived way out in West Oklahoma I said, I was in your hometown doing a meeting last week. And boy, his countenance changed. And just an anger came over his face. And I, I, so much so, I said, what's wrong? And he began to tell me the story of his childhood. When he was a boy, they were sharecroppers on a Baptist deacon's land. And the drunken brother of the sheriff in town ran over and killed his dad. And the sheriff, he said, took the his brother, across the state line so he couldn't be prosecuted. The deacon, upon whose land the, this man was, and his four brothers and sisters and mother, just dirt poor, he kicked him off the land, so said Fred. And uh, he began to unravel the story, and he, as he told me, he got angrier and angrier. And for 46 years... He had been trying to find and prosecute that man who had hurt his family. Bitterness in his soul. It always springs up. It always causes trouble. And here's the worst one. It always defiles many. Because it's a corruption and acidity, it doesn't just touch me, it touches everybody around me. So one day, one of my friends who lived in another uh, part of Oklahoma, up in Enid, Oklahoma, he called me, and he said, Bill, I need your help. I said, what's the deal? He said, well, I got a, I got a guy in my church just giving me fits, and I don't know what to do. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, man, he's just, he's just angry and controlling, and, and uh, every business meeting stands up and stuff, does stuff, and it just makes everybody so miserable. And, uh, and, and his son is in our Christian school, and, and he's, he's, he's so, such a holy terror. He said, we're going to have to remove him from the school. And he said, when that happens, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, well, why, why are you calling me? And he said, well, his dad is in your church. And I wondered maybe if you could 
shed some light on this. You know whose dad was? It's old Fred. You know, I want, I want to tell you something. I love my kids. And I, 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 there are a thousand ways I've been a terrible dad and I've missed the mark. But I can think of nothing worse than my children and my grandchildren being affected with bitterness because I was unwilling to deal with it God's way. So you may say tonight, Bill, I've got a little of this in my soul. As you're talking about it, I, I, I realize there's, there's some hurt in my heart towards somebody or something that happened or the way God made me or, or the circumstances that happened in my life that I've kind of been holding my, in my heart. That's, that's why I have such a hard time trusting God because I, 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 I don't know if I can trust him to do a good job with the rest of my life. So what do I do with this? How, how do I overcome bitterness in my life? Well, let me just mention two or three things to you, and, we'll, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. First of all, if I really want to overcome this in my life, I need to admit my sin. Immediately, the tendency is to say, my sin? <laughs> my dad abused me. My sin, if anybody needs to seek forgiveness, it's my dad. Well, you know what? That's right. But you're not him. You can't control him, right? Maybe can do nothing about him. He's going to stand before God one day and give an account of his life. But so are you. And if along the way, either knowingly or unknowingly, you have chosen a path to not release that and not forgive then I am holding this sin of unforgiveness in my heart. This is very serious with God. Reagan mentioned a few minutes ago how in the Lord's Prayer, I mean this primary spot where Jesus is telling us how we communicate with God, one of the five or six things he says we need to pray about is to forgive others. And here's the reason. Just as God has forgiven us, And then he says at the end of that, this amazing statement, he says, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. I looked that up in the Greek. I really studied that out. You know what it means? If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. That's what it means. I don't know know all of what that means, but I want to tell you something. I have to have God's forgiveness. Amen? Amen. And, and later in Ephesians, uh, Paul says, God says to us through Paul, he says, look, everybody needs to be tenderhearted and uh, kind, forgiving others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So God loves you and he doesn't want this, this bitterness rooted in your soul, one of his children. He knows what it's going to do to you. He knows what it's going to do to others. And he loves people around you. And he doesn't want, he, he bought you with his blood on Calvary. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be, uh, you know, the corruption of your soul to affect the lives of others. He wants the love of God flowing out of you to affect the lives of others. So the first thing is just to get honest 
and say, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you. I've been holding this for 30 years in my heart. And something's not right. Please forgive me and cleanse me of this. The second thing to do, I think, is to embrace God's sovereignty over your life. Another way to say that would be accept the circumstances. So when, when my dad fell and left, uh, I just increasingly, and I was pastoring a church, I was getting up every Sunday and preaching, but this just kept just gnawing in my soul, and I, and, and I, I didn't realize it. I had counseled people about bitterness, and I didn't realize it was happening to me. And one of the things that happens sometimes when you're bitter is you just kind of get numb. You just don't care. You, you don't want to read your Bible because you're not really all that interested in hearing what God has to say about things. You don't want to pray. And you get irritated quicker at things. Your, your children get louder somehow <laughs> when this happens. And so one night, uh, my kids, were just, it was just bugging me, you know. And I told my wife, I said, I got, I got, to, I got to get out of the house. And I, I went for a walk. And I can take you to the exact spot under a cottonwood tree. You know, every once in a while, if you get a little water uh, in, in these dry, arid places, these big old cottonwoods will will spring up, and, and there was this cottonwood tree, and I stopped under that cottonwood tree, and I had prayed a prayer hundreds and hundreds of times in my life. I said, God, whatever you want to do to make me a man of God, that's what I want. Just whatever you need to do. I prayed that prayer. I meant that prayer. I wanted to be all that God wanted me to be. And that night, I just stopped, and I looked up at God, literally shook my fist at him, and out loud said, God, if this is what it takes to make me a man of God, I don't think I want it. And when the words came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, my goodness. But you know, the Lord knew, right? I wasn't telling him anything he didn't know. And it was like, if you'll excuse this, it was like the Lord had kind of lanced a boil in my soul. And what was really there just came pouring out. And the Lord didn't uh, slap me down or strike me with a cottonwood tree. He just began to talk to me under that tree. And he told me how much he loved me. And he said, Bill, you realize, don't you, that I'm not, I'm not the one responsible for this. That some people made some choices. And a, a devil made some tempting. And, uh, and Bill... Uh, I didn't cause that. You understand that? And Bill, I'm the only one that can give you what you need in this moment. And yet you're holding me at arm's length as if I'm responsible. And I mean all these things. It was just amazing. It, it seemed like I was there for an hour. I'm sure it was just a few minutes. All of that just came washing over my soul by the Holy Spirit. I said, oh God, I'm so sorry. And I realized for the first time that I had been walking around with my fists clenched saying, God, I will not receive this into my life, which is the dumbest thing anybody could ever possibly say because <laughs> it was in my life, right? I wasn't going to change that. But under that cottonwood tree, I kind of relaxed my hands and said, Lord, I will receive this in my life as if it was from you even. 
as I've thought about that through the years, I've thought, you know what I was doing is I was, I was just embracing God's sovereignty over my life. In humility, I was saying, Lord, if you want to allow this in my life, it's okay. You know what you're about. You know what you're doing. You don't cause sin. You're not the author of evil. You can't be blamed for any evil because you're perfectly righteous in all of your ways. And you're the God who can turn ashes into beauty and work all things together for good. And so, Lord, I embrace your sovereignty over my life. That, that night was when the sting of that bitterness began to leave my heart. Have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever looked back at what your parents did to you or what that coworker that you trusted when he kind of knifed you in the back or that church member that did something to you and you just thought, how in the world could they do that? Have you ever just said to the Lord, Lord, you don't cause evil. You're not the author of this. But Father, you are sovereign and I am going to embrace your sovereignty. You're the creator. I'm the creature. And whatever you want to allow to come into my life, knowing that there is no demand made upon my life that's not made upon the Spirit of God inside of me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your grace is sufficient for me. Wasn't that what Paul did with the thorn in the flesh when he three times he said, Lord, please, I can't. Now, this was a tough critter, right? This is a guy who had been stoned and left for dead and shipwrecked and beaten times without number. This was, a, this was no, no wimp, and yet something came into his life so significant that he cried out to God three times, Lord, please take this away. Please take this away. Please take this away. And the Lord said, no, Paul, that's not my plan in this case because my strength is going to be perfected in the middle of your weakness. And Paul so embraced the sovereignty of God that he he could really come and say, I glory now in my weakness. Because the weaker I am, the stronger I have, the more I have to turn in faith. And the stronger God's strength is emitted through me. I glory in my weakness. So admit your sin. Embrace the sovereignty of God. Accept the circumstances. And then here's the third thing. This is a big one. It's a little word, but it's a big thing. Forgive. Forgive. You say, Bill, I can't forgive. Well, let, let's just lay that one to rest, okay? If I took Mason out in the parking lot, I said, Mason, I want you to fly. And Mason said, well, I can't fly. He said, no, I want you to fly right now. I want you to fly. He said, what are you talking about? I can't fly. Then I pulled out a gun. And I said, Mason, fly or I'm going to shoot you. Well, he wouldn't get off the ground, but, but he'd start flapping his wings. And <laughs> it'd be fun to watch. Great to videotape, you know, YouTube deal or something. It would be unfair for me and unjust for me to ask him to do something he cannot do, right? And let me ask you a question. Is God fair? Is God just? Is he righteous? Absolutely in all his ways then there's nothing that God asks of you that you cannot do by the grace of God. You may not want to do it. You may not know how to do it. But if the Lord looks at you and he says, forgive. Well, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. Forgive as God has forgiven you. 
Forgive. If God tells us to forgive and he tells us to do it constantly, then we can, by the grace of God, say, okay, Bill, how do I forgive? I've been trying to forgive this person. In fact, some people I know, the person that hurt them is dead and gone and in the grave. And they're letting that person in the grave still hold the key to their happiness. How do I forgive them? Well, my little definition is this. That forgiveness is my responsibility by a choice of my will to release a debt by faith to glorify God. Now, each of those little phrases are very important. First of all, it's my responsibility. Somebody else hurt me, that's their responsibility. My responsibility is to do what the Lord said which will set me free, by the way, and that is to forgive. My responsibility, by a choice of my will, one of the most liberating things that ever happened to me in my life, and I learned it during this ordeal with my my dad, was that forgiveness is not a choice of my emotions. It's a choice of my will. It's a choice. It's a decision I make to choose to do this. For instance, if you were a, a, a house painter and you came to my house and painted my house and you, you'd give me a bill, right? And you say, well, that's $3,000 or whatever, probably more than that. And then, and then you uh, went home and you wrote it down in the ledger book. Bill Eliff owes me $3,000, right? Why would you write it in a ledger book? Two reasons, right? So you wouldn't forget and so you'd make me pay. And all of us have a little ledger book in our heart, right? And so when somebody hurts us, we kind of write it down in the ledger book. And the reason we write it down is so we won't forget it and so that we make them pay. It's a debt they owe us. She should have never treated me like that. I can't believe she did that. And we write it down and we want to make them pay. And we're very creative in how we make people pay. We can do a lot of things. We can withhold, withdraw from them. I'll make you pay. I just won't ever talk to you again. Or we can get angry at them. Or we can tear them down by gossip and criticism and slander. That's the way we make people pay. That's, that's coming out of the ledger book, see? I mean, we could do all kinds of things to try to make them pay. But if, you, if I owed you $3,000... You could walk in there and say, oh, Bill, you know, I met him at the revival. He's painting my house, and, and he's a good guy. I'm going to choose to release him from that $3,000 debt, right? You could do that. You could just write that out. It would be a choice of your will. Forgiveness is a choice of the will. I cannot tell you how many times, literally thousands of times, I have said to the Lord in prayer, Lord, right now, I don't want to go another day holding this in my ledger book, right now, by your grace, I choose to forgive. And it's off the ledger book. I I just don't want it on the ledger book. And what it is, this is so beautiful, what it is, is that they've hurt me, and I'm holding them in my courtroom, right? And I'm judge, jury, and executioner. I'm going to make them pay. And forgiveness is transferring that person or that issue from my courtroom to the courtroom of heaven. This is why it's releasing a debt by faith. 
right? Releasing a debt by faith. You know what Romans 12 said? Uh, It says, uh, occasionally take your own revenge. Is that what it says? Anybody? What's the first word? Never. Never take your own revenge. Never. Never. But then listen to what the Lord says. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. I need to straighten some things out with somebody. I am totally capable of doing that. Right? So you transfer that by a choice of your will from your courtroom to the courtroom of heaven. Lord, I've been carrying this for 30 years. I've been trying to make them pay. Every time their name is mentioned, I have to tell people, oh yeah, but there's some things you don't know about them. I'm making them pay. Yeah, but you know, you, let me tell you what they did to me. I'm making them pay, right? And it's transferring it to the courtroom of heaven saying, Lord, that's your business. My business is to love and to forgive. Is that letting them off the hook? No, it's letting me off the hook that I put myself on. So it's a choice of my will by faith to release this debt. And God gives us grace to do this if we will cooperate with him. And the ultimate purpose is that I do this to glorify God, right? So that the world can see how gracious How forgiving, how loving, how powerful is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know the greatest testimonies you've ever heard in your life? Are testimonies of people who have been hurt deeply and forgiven fully. Corrie Ten Boom, Nazi concentration camp. Why do you know her name? Because she was hurt deeply. But she realized it was her responsibility by choice of her will, to release a debt of those Nazi people who had tortured her, killed her mother, killed killed her sister, killed her father. And by faith, she transferred it to God's heaven so that God would be glorified, which he has been marvelously through her life. And I just pause right there and ask you a question. Would you take just a minute and look in your ledger book and see if there's anybody's name there? Maybe some series of small things. And you just kind of, you just don't like them, you know? You don't like the way they look, like the way they treat people. You just don't like them. And they might maybe know nothing even directly they've done against you, but you just kind of hold them. You got their name in your ledger book. And their name comes up, and you roll your eyes, you know, you make them pay. Anybody's name. And down at the bottom of that ledger book, this is a real important question. Is God's name there? Lord, I can't believe you allowed this in my life. In a very real sense, I had to come to the point where this sounds crazy. I forgave God. You know, which is, is not really what happened, but I just released what I was holding in my heart against God. So you admit your sin, you embrace God's sovereignty, you choose forgiveness. You choose forgiveness because you don't want this harbored hurt and this bitter, this acidity in your soul any longer. 
And then, finally, you ask God to fill you with his love. Do you know the Bible says that when Christ came into your heart, he came in fully. You know what that means? All the love of God is in me. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God can be shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you how that, how that happens. So, so my dad, back to the story, my dad uh, left and we pled with him. He left, married this lady. Uh, we didn't hear from him. It was a long, long, several years. And not long after he left, my mother began to exhibit some strange behavior. We took her in and had her tested, and the doctor said, well, she has Alzheimer's and, uh, that's come up, and it's, 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 it's rapidly progressing. So Holly and I, my wife, had the wonderful privilege of bringing her down to, to Norman where we lived and, and giving her some return for the last years of her life for what she'd given to us. And, and my mom was just this simple, godly country woman. We just loved Jesus and did what he said, you know. And, uh, and what made forgiveness easier for us was my mother. My mother forgave my dad. And one day, as the Alzheimer's was progressing, I went into her room and she was unconscious. I literally picked her up in my arms, put her in the car, drove to Norman Regional Hospital and they said, well, she has a cerebral hemorrhage, a brain hemorrhage, and uh, this was on a Tuesday. They said she won't live t- to the weekend. And so we began to call the family in. My brother was in Romania when it was still communist, and he was on a mission trip there, and he'd given me some numbers. I started trying to call my brother, and I couldn't get him. Called every way I could. Finally, on Sunday afternoon, I said... Uh, Lord, you know where my brother is, and if you want to get him, you're going to have to find him because I can't get him. Three hours later, my brother calls from Romania. And I said, why in the world are you calling? He said, I have no idea. He said, I just felt like I was supposed to call. And I said, well, Mom's dying, and uh, if you want to stay there and keep preaching, I know that would be fine with her. But he felt like he wanted to come home, so he began to make his way home. And Mother had, had, had not come out of this coma. And uh, on Wednesday, my sister and I were there in the room, and my mother woke up. She'd been in a coma a little over a week. And she tried to talk, and she couldn't talk, had all the, you know, the tubes and everything. Uh, But all through that day, we could make out, by the providence of God, one word. And she repeated it at least three times. She said, forgive, forgive, forgive. And... uh, we thought, you know, my sister and I talked about it. We said, well, is she, is she telling us again to forgive Dad? Is she wanting us to get in touch with Dad one more time and tell him that he's forgiven? And uh, we finally decided, well, we'll just let the Holy Spirit apply that however he wants to. The next day, my brother got home from Romania. My other brother came in, and we gathered around, and our wives and husbands around 
around her bed and for three hours had the most unbelievable worship service I've ever had in my life. We sang, we prayed, Mother was awake. And we realized for the first time that Mother had led all four of us to Christ. We thanked her. It was just, it was just wonderful. And then the phone rang and I picked up the phone and it was my dad. And my dad hadn't talked to us for two years and completely out of our lives. And he said, I, I found out that, that your mom is, is dying. I said, well, yes, she is. And he said, could I talk to her? And we put the phone up to her ear. And boy, her whole countenance changed. She ch- tried to talk, you know, I'm sure wanted to express to him one more time that she loved him and forgave him. She knew he could never, never come back. That was not the issue at this point. And uh, we got back on the phone with Dad, and he told us that he had asked for her forgiveness. And uh, it was just a beautiful thing. I hung up the phone and told the family, and it was like you just turned on these water sprinklers of grace, you know, all over the room. And uh, it was wonderful. The next day I came into my mother's room. She was, she was awake. She could talk. She said to me, I'll never forget this, she said, Billy, she said, uh, isn't that great dad calling and coming back to the Lord? That's exactly what we prayed for. And my mom had had an experience earlier in this whole ordeal with the Lord. She, she knew how to meet with the Lord, and she had had this meeting with Jesus. And she had told the Lord, Lord, I don't want anything. All I want is for you to be glorified. That's all I want out of this. She knew her... Husband would never come back, uh, but she wanted God to be glorified. That afternoon, she slipped back in a coma, and she lived five more weeks in a coma. And this sounds like a preacher exaggeration. It's not. The best we can recollect, every single day, somebody heard about Christ in that, in that hospital room. It's like it became this, this just wonderful ministry center. I remember after my mother died, one of the nurses called me and she said, you don't remember me? I'm so-and-so. I was a nurse. I said, oh yeah, I remember you totally. You were wonderful. Help to mom. And she said, well, she said, I watched you kids. And she said, I saw and heard what you said about your mom. And she said, I've got two boys. And she said, I realized that, uh, I wanted kids like that, and to be kids like that, I needed to be a mom like her. And she said, I I don't know if you want to know this or not, but I gave my life to Christ last week. And my husband gave his life to Christ. And I said, oh, my, my mom would gladly lie in a hospital bed for seven weeks if it meant you and your, probably your children one day, maybe their children's children, going from hell to heaven. The last time we all gathered around her bed was just a few days before she, she died, and, uh, and my dad was with us. The Lord had given us back our, our father, and, uh, and he had repented, and his wife had repented. He went back to every church he ever pastored, stood in their pulpit, asked their forgiveness, uh, wrote letters to every pastor in Oklahoma City seeking their forgiveness, admitting what he'd done. We finally just said to him at some point, okay, Dad, I think we're, I think we're good. I think, you've, I think your repentance has become 
as notorious as your sin. And my dad, my mother had a promise that my dad would live a long time so they could tell of the glory of the Lord. That was 30 years ago. My dad died last two years ago at 97. Uh, All the way through telling people that there's no, a man can rise so high, there's no man can rise so high that he can't fall. But no man can fall so low that he can't rise by the grace of God. My mom had, uh, had, she was a school teacher for a while, English teacher. She loved poetry. And every once in a while in her Alzheimer's, she would just, uh, she would just come out. You know, she would just remember something from her distant past. And she would quote this phrase just over and over. He drew a circle and shut us out. Daunting rebel, a thing to flout, but love and I had a wit to win, and we drew a circle and brought him in. Oh, the power of forgiveness. You know why God wants you to forgive? Because you are never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who've hurt you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm going to ask Reagan to come and just quietly play for a moment. And you may be here tonight and you say, Bill, that's a, a wonderful truth in Scripture. And as I search my heart, there's, by the grace of God, I don't really see any, any unforgiveness that's there, any harbored hurt. And that's a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. And if that's true, would you spend the next moments just praying for anybody in the room, anybody that you know that has been touched by hurt and has harbored that? Would you just do that right now? praying for them. But I wonder, every head bowed and eye closed, if there's some of us in this room that say, Bill, there's there's something in my heart. Maybe it's a little thing or it's a big thing. Maybe it was a small hurt or a series of hurts or, or a massive thing that happened in your life. And I wonder with your head bowed, if you would just lift your hand to the Lord, just admitting that, just something in my heart. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Others. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Somebody else. Thanks. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something for just a moment. You know, there's really no reason... To walk out of this room with any of that in your heart. With any of that in your heart. And and so I wonder if you would kind of take that person, that thing, or those things. And just kind of hold them in your hands in front of you. You may even want to just hold your hands right there. But just, just take them out in front of you. And, and just for a moment, would you walk 
with me through the process of forgiving? And the first thing is to admit your sin. Lord, I'm sorry that I've held on to this. I'm sorry that I have, have things in my ledger book. I'm sorry that I have, have not shown the world the right picture of you. I'm sorry that I've affected others by the things I've said and, and the way I've responded. So Lord, please forgive me. Would you forgive me? And cleanse my heart right now. Just tell him that. And then I wonder if you would, uh, because it's our responsibility, would you thank him that by his grace you now know you can forgive? And right now, would you just choose forgiveness? Lord, by your grace, I choose right now to forgive them. If there are multiple names on the ledger book, just just strike them off. Lord, I forgive her. I forgive him. Just forgive. Just choose forgiveness. Just transfer that from your courtroom to the courtroom of heaven. Lord, I don't want to carry this any longer. I don't want to walk out of this room ever having to deal with this again in the way I've dealt with it. Lord, I choose to give this to you and I take my hands off. Anything that needs to happen with them, Lord, your responsibility I forgive. And then would you do one step further? Would you ask God, and this is remarkable, but possible, to flood your heart with his love? Lord, replace that bitterness with love. I promise if you'll trust him and ask him, he longs to do this. He loves to do this. So the world can see how powerful he is. And you won't get the glory. God will get the glory. Because there's no way you could have loved them. Lord, just fill my heart. The fruit of your spirit ruling and reigning in my heart is love, joy, peace, patience. Lord, fill my heart with your spirit and flood my heart with your love. And one step further, would you just embrace God's sovereignty over your life? Lord, I know you don't cause evil, but you oversee my life and you have a right to allow whatever you allow to come through my life knowing that if I'll trust you even that can make me more like Jesus so I just surrender to your will for my life I embrace your sovereignty and I thank you God 
for the training and the life message you can bring out of this in my life. And would you thank him for the joy of forgiveness right now? So, Father, I thank you for people who have just now just released things at your feet. And, Lord, we don't want to ever pick them up again. The devil's going to tempt us. He's going to kind of try to replay this on the, on the screen of our emotions. But, Lord, we can walk back to this night and say, no, I've forgiven them. I'm not going to pick all that stuff up again. And we will continually choose forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that even those people and others around would see the matchless, overwhelming, reckless love of God through my life. And I pray, Father, that you would give such a grace and peace. And in place of that hurt, there would be joy. I mean, real joy. Lord, just give them joy. Set the captives free. You're great at that. And release us and teach us how to keep forgiving and keep short accounts the rest of our life, Lord, to be a model of your forgiveness because you have forgiven us. And that's the prayer of our heart. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Can I tell you one final thing? So I was sharing this message in Houston, Texas, and a man came to me afterwards and he said, I've done something terrible. And he said, I've had a a long time affair in my life. I've hidden it. And uh, it's over. It's been over for several years, but he said, I've never told my wife. And what do I do? And I said, well, number one, let's deal with it before God. Number two, you're going to need to tell your wife because you're part of her and you've been holding this closet that you can never be intimate and one with this in the closet. So he, I kind of told him, helped him know how to do that. He went to his wife. She was a feisty Texas woman. I I liked her a lot. And and she loved the Lord. and, And he told her and she was furious, as you can imagine. And she got so mad and she kicked him out of the house. We were in the midst of this life action meeting in the church. And she wouldn't even think about forgiving her. One of her friends pled with her to forgive. She wouldn't forgive. Finally, she said, well, would you just talk to Bill? And she agreed. She came into a little church library. I can remember it like yesterday. And I sat there and I talked with her about the nature of moral impurity. She didn't, didn't phase her. I talked about forgiveness. She didn't. I mean, just nothing would phase her. And then all of a sudden, this question, I think, prompted by the Holy Spirit. I looked across at her and I said, Sandy, I said, why do you live? And she said, what? I said, why do you, why do you live? She said, well, I want God to be glorified in my life. And I said, do you realize God is giving you the greatest opportunity you have ever had in your life to glorify God through your forgiveness because you're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. And boy, she just broke. She surrendered her will to the will of the Father. 
She went back, forgave her husband, chose forgiveness, forgave her husband. Now, they had a lot to work through, right? I mean, we helped them work through some stuff and, and questions and what do we do and all that. Six months later, they called me. And they say, Bill, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? They said, somebody heard about what happened in our life. They've asked us to come to their Sunday school class and tell the story. Should we do it? I said, absolutely. I said, this is God making beauty out of ashes. And using, this was your life message now, that you can help liberate other people. So they went. They called me about a year later. And they said, Bill, you're not going to believe this. Somebody heard about our story. They want us to come to a marriage retreat. Can you believe this? I said, this is awesome. They began to do this around the countryside. Then one day, about three years later, they called me and they said, Bill, okay, are you sitting down? I said, I'm sitting down. It was during the Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. You remember this? Of course you remember it. Arkansas's little gift to the world. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And she said... Bill, we want you to watch Oprah Winfrey the next two days. I said, well, I watch her every day, you know. <laughs> and she said, no, what? He said, I can't even tell you how this happened, but Oprah is having a, a show about husbands who cheated on their wives and wives who've forgiven them. And there are five couples giving their story, and we've been chosen as one of the couples. I said, you are kidding me. They said, no. For the next two days, they got on television, 10 to 12 million viewers. And he told about his sin and his repentance. And she told about the grace of God to forgive. And 10 million people heard about Jesus and God was glorified. That's the kind of thing God does. When we choose to follow him and do things his way, he takes the worst thing in our life and it becomes our life story that glorifies him and liberates others. Isn't God good? Just give him a round of applause. Would you do that? Isn't the Lord good? He's so good. Well, amen. We're so glad you're here tonight. By the way, this little booklet, some of you may have have uh, seen this already, and I'm not hawking books, I'm really not, uh, but this little booklet uh, tells this story and, and basically the elements of what I've told you tonight in this message. And I'm telling you that because there may be some of you here who said, I've got a daughter, I've got a neighbor, I've got a friend, I wish they could have been here and heard this story. And uh, you may want to pick these up. If you don't have any money, just take it for free, I don't care. But, but uh, get it into their hands. And uh, if I told you how many people have heard my mother's story of forgiveness and what it's done, you'd be absolutely shocked. Mi- literally millions of people around the United States because she chose to forgive. And he can do that with us too. Amen? God bless you. Pastor, anything else? Well, let's uh, stand. And your ticket to get her out of the room, you've got to hug somebody's neck. Okay? Maybe two of them. If you get real ambitious, give them a holy kiss. I don't, I don't care. Go for it. <laughs> no, 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 no.
Oh.